Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter. Pretty good Bible studies in this audio. I am going to cover Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. Just four short verses in this one. Our context is this. In the first part of chapter 5, the first 10 verses, the author tells us all about Jesus, our high priest, and how he learned obedience through what he suffered and so forth, and how, what a great and superior high priest he is to the Aaronic high priest, to the, the Jewish religion's high priest. So we start in verse 11, Hebrews 5. I'm going to call this section Teaching and Being Taught. Verse 11, Hebrews 5. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Well, to say about what? To say about this. A great deal to say about this. He's talking about the connection between Jesus and Melchizedek because of our previous section talking about Jesus the high priest to show that he was superior. The author showed that he was of the order of Melchizedek one who was a priest but who had no beginning and who had no end, He was, which is typological of Jesus who has no beginning and no end because he is a forever high priest, whereas the ironic Jewish high priest has a beginning and has an end, and so forth. There were other comparisons also, and so the author says he has a great deal to say about that. So he's going to pick that up again in Hebrews 6:20, But now he wants to deal with the Hebrews' immaturity. Now some people say that actually the author of Hebrews is not referring to Melchizedek here. They say, why would the author think the Hebrews are more capable when he wrote the seventh chapter or the sixth chapter when he takes up Melchizedek again? He didn't think they could understand. The author didn't think the Hebrews could understand in the fifth chapter. So why would they a few hours later understand when reading the sixth and seventh chapter? Well, my answer to that is, is the author is not just referring to Melchizedek in isolation. He's, he's referring rather to the relationship of Melchizedek and Jesus. Sure, the Hebrews should understand about Melchizedek and how he was a high priest, how he was a priest and so forth, but they didn't understand who Jesus was, and that's what the problem was. So we're going to take it here that the author has a lot more to say about Melchizedek, but mainly a lot more to say about how Jesus is like Melchizedek. Those who say the author can't be referring to Melchizedek at all, saying that they say that the author is referring to Jesus and his endless priesthood. Well, that's so similar to the idea of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek had an endless priesthood in typological form. So this is what he's talking about. We have a great deal to say about this, this relationship of Jesus and Melchizedek. And he does have a great deal to say about it because he picks it up again in the 6th and the 7th chapter and he's got a lot more to say about it. And he says it's difficult to explain. Why? Because the subject matter is difficult? No. It's because the students are dull. Since you've become too lazy to understand. Now other translations have you have become too slow to learn. That's the NIV. The KGV, the New American Standard, and the Wesley translation say that you he, Hebrews have become dull of hearing. The Mace New Testament says because of your prejudices you can't understand. The New American Bible says you've become sluggish in hearing. The Weymouth translation says you are dull of apprehension. Now, as a matter of fact, there were many Christians in Jerusalem who were dull and legalistic. We read in Acts 21.20, this is at the tail end of the third journey. Paul's coming back to Jerusalem to talk about what all the Gentiles he had ministered to. And it says, when they, that's James and the elders, heard it, heard about the, heard about the ministry of Paul among the Gentiles, they, James and the elders, glorify God and said, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed and they're all zealous for the law. So we see that there were a lot of legalistic Christians, born again, but still trying to live under the law. Well, that sounds like modern-day Christians today, doesn't it? How many Christians you know trying to keep that law? They love Jesus, and they're going to prove it by showing how much law they can keep. 
Well, you do that, you're going to get dull of hearing. You're not going to understand about your high priest, Jesus, who's doing what Moses could never do, what Aaron could never do. Where did this dullness come from? John Gill suggests three options from their afflictions and persecutions. They got tired of hearing. Could be because they were Hebrews, they were Jews, and they were still too attached to the law of Moses. That made them dull of hearing. Or it could be they were just lazy. We don't know, but the author lets them hold it. Hebrews 5.12, although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. By this time, by what time? Remember the the book was written sometime in the mid-60s. So if Jesus dies in 8030, that's 30 some odd years they've had a chance to hear the gospel. Surely in 30 years you could have learned enough about the truth of God to teach other people. But no, they hadn't. In fact, they still needed someone to teach them the basic principles of God's revelation again. It had to be repeated to them. To them. You need milk, says the author. You don't need solid food. Why milk? Because they were spiritual babies. And of course, babies, that's what they do. They drink exclusively milk if it's a nursing baby. Now, there's nothing wrong with drinking milk. But there is something wrong if you keep on drinking it after growing up and you never eat steak and potatoes and macaroni and cheese and black-eyed peas and collard greens and sweet potatoes. There's something wrong with you. So this is an obvious analogy. There's something wrong with you, Hebrew Christians. You're not growing. You're stunted. You have a bad case of arrested development. Now, examples of this milk? Well, we'll see that in the next chapter in our next audio, chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Let me read it to you now. Here's examples of basic elementary words about the Messiah. Therefore, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of, this foundation is the milk doctrines, the basic doctrines that they should have left by now, they should have already appropriated that, learned it, taught it, and moved on to something else. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, some of these are obvious. We'll talk about this next audio. Repentance from dead works, that's when you get saved. Faith in God, that's when you get saved. Now, ritual washings, what is that? Baptisms, many translations have. We'll have to talk about that later. Laying on of hands, for what? Resurrection of the dead is obvious. That's basic. That's fundamental. Eternal judgment, that's fundamental, too. We go now to verses 13 and 14, Hebrews 5. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Now what is this milk? Well, I've already mentioned it's elementary Christian doctrines. However, Adam Clark says it could be elementary doctrines of the Jewish law. So that that would mean everyone who is living on Moses' basic laws is inexperienced with the message about righteousness. And of course, that would be true. But I don't think that's what the author's talking about. I think he's talking about basic Christian doctrines. Because in Hebrews 6.1, the author says, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah. Not about Moses. The elementary message or elementary word about the Messiah. About Jesus. About the Christ. Not about Moses. Someone might say, well, the elementary message about Moses is typically about Christ because Moses typifies about Christ. Well, yeah, they could say that, but I, I think it's just much easier to say that this is the elementary Christian doctrines. You need to move on from that. And there's a lots of Christians in that category, or they're not. This milk-drinking Christian is inexperienced with the message about righteousness. That's the doctrine of justification because justification is the act of declaring one legally righteous before God the Father. That's pretty basic. Now, the immature Hebrews were living on the law instead of the gospel. 
And one will not attain righteousness by living on the law. Rather, one will attain condemnation. So you want to keep drinking milk. Now, that, that of course, is Adam Clark's idea that the, the milk they were drinking is legalism, legal doctrines. And again, he could be right, but I don't think so because it talks about elementary message about the Messiah in Hebrews 6 1. But it doesn't. But. I guarantee you, even if they were, even if they were pure, 100% pure, and teaching nothing but basic Christian doctrines, and were not, and those doctrines were not at all admixed with legalism, even then they were not going to be growing. But I suspect, since they were having trouble with legalism, as we see all the way through the Book of Hebrews, I would suspect that these basic Christian doctrines were even adulterated further. Were adulterated? I shouldn't say the basic Christian doctrines are adulterated, but they per se in and of themselves but when you add jewish legalism to it they become adulterated and the message is even worse the milk is going to make you even more immature because the law brings condemnation it doesn't bring righteousness let's look at a couple of verses on righteousness i'm sure there are many others romans 117 for in it god's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith and it's the gospel god's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written the righteous will live by faith. That could be the righteousness which God provides or the, the righteousness which characterizes God's nature, whatever reveal, is revealed from faith to faith, from one believing person to another believing person. And what is this message that's being spread? The righteous will live by faith. You want to have righteous? It's an alien righteousness given to you when you believe in Christ. Second Corinthians 3, 9. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more glory. That's the basic Christian doctrine. The basic Christian gospel, the message about righteousness, because we ain't righteous. We are filthy, lousy, rotten sinners before we get saved. After we get saved, we're righteous, holy saints. So salvation is a big deal. Now, Paul accuses the, excuse me, not Paul, the author of the book of Hebrews accuses his readers of being infants. Everyone who lives on milk, and you guys are living on milk, you are inexperienced with the message about righteousness. Why? Because you are an infant. Well, now, what's wrong with that? Aren't infants little cute and cuddly things? We take pictures of them. We send pictures of them all over the Internet, little videos. We spend a fortune at photographers taking family pictures at Christmas because we love our baby so much. Well, yeah. That's the good qualities of infants. Well, the word infants is like the word leaven. Sometimes the scripture uses leaven in a positive sense and sometimes in a negative sense. Well, here we're using the term infant in a negative sense. John Gill describes some negative characteristics of infants, their levity, their inconstancy, their ignorance, and the fact that they can't take care of themselves. And that would describe the Hebrew Christians. They need to have solid food, but they don't have it. That's for the mature, and they are immature. What kind of solid food? John Gill will describe that perfectly. Here's an example of solid food. Quote, the high and sublime doctrines of Christianity, the atonement, justification by faith, the gift of the Holy Ghost, the fullness of Christ dwelling in the souls of men, triumph in and over death, the resurrection of the body, the glorification of both body and soul in the realms of blessedness, and an endless union with Christ in the throne of his glory. Now, there's some milk. There's some meat, excuse me expressed in John Gill's inimitable fashion. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews mentions senses here. For those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil, now he's using a physical metaphor to express a spiritual truth. Spiritually, you have to be trained to learn to distinguish good and evil. Well, let's take the physical aspect of this first. If you have a baby, he can smell milk, but can he smell steak? 
Can he smell collard greens? Can he appreciate that, those smells? No. Well, I don't know that for sure, but I assume that's true. I can't remember when I was a baby, but I don't think I had a hankering for steak and collard greens and black-eyed peas and cornbread when I was a kid. I just don't remember that. I, I think that all I cared about was milk, and that's what these Hebrew Christians were doing. Spiritually, all they cared about was the basic doctrines of the faith, and they weren't advancing on trying to be become mature. Now, it's interesting, uh, the different translations, how the different translations handle this. The NIV says, who by constant use have trained themselves, referring to the mature, who, who can distinguish good and evil. They by constant use have trained themselves. The Greek is, who by habit have trained themselves, as Jameson Fawcett and Brown say. The KGV says, by the reason of use have their senses, by reason of use have their senses exercised. The Mace New Testament says their senses have been exercised. The Montgomery translation says, by constant practice have their faculties trained. The New American Bible says their faculties are trained by practice. The New American Standard Bible has, because of practice, have their senses trained. Now, the Holman Christian Study Bible doesn't have practice in the translation. Most of the other ones do. In other words, by practice and experience, you learn to distinguish good and evil. And I think that probably gives a good sense of the text. And it's true because, you know, I used to say about young Chinese Christians, I said they're so innocent they're dangerous. Oh, the government won't. The government won't affect us. This same government that's throwing Christians in jail, persecuting the heck out of the church. Oh, it's no problem. I remember I had one guy tell me this. He ended up being arrested, interrogated by the police. And he before he was arrested, he just would say, oh, you can you can just talk to me on openly on the phone. No problem. They're not going to get me. And they got him. I wouldn't talk to him openly on the phone because I was a little more mature than that, even though I was a dumb foreigner. I knew the government was out after Christians, and I wasn't going to do that. And how about the the uh, the girls? Oh, my gosh. Oh, that that man won't hurt me. That man won't come after me sexually. Oh, no. And then they go around wearing a, a micro miniskirt. Oh, no. Will you tell your father about that? Oh, no, I would never tell him. Why not? Well, it's obvious why not. Well, they were feeling modern and westernized. So innocent that they were dangerous. Well, that's what happens with babies. Babies don't realize there's a lot of evil out there in the world. They haven't distinguished it yet. Once they get bit by evil, they'll start being a little more careful. Now, it's interesting. The very fact that you have to be trained to distinguish good and evil shows that a lot of evil appears as good because people don't really embrace something they know is going to hurt them. I mean, when people are smoking marijuana or smoking cocaine, they think, oh, this is going to be good for me, good for my nerves, makes me feel good. When people have illicit sex, they say, oh, isn't this wonderful? That girl will never leave me. She won't hurt my heart. She won't destroy my soul. Yeah, right. It looks so good. Yes. Will you love me tonight, but will you still love me tomorrow? That's the question, because the uh, the, the upfront attraction of sin is so temp tempting, and people turn their brains off and don't realize that the wages of sin is death. It looks good up front, but it delivers death at the back end. So, you got to learn how to distinguish good and evil. Steve Ackerson says this, Maturity is not defined by the amount of theological knowledge one has. It is defined rather by discriminating judgment in matters of moral purity. Note that maturity is connected with righteousness. You are babes with respect to the message of righteousness, but, but you haven't had your senses trained yet to discern good and evil. So maturity, when you if you want to be righteous, you're going to need to be mature. Well, how, where do you get 
maturity from? Where do you get righteousness from? It comes from Christ. It's not founded on works. And when you embrace Christ and fully appreciate your deep union with him, that will lead you to the ability to distinguish good from evil because Jesus will say, I don't do that. You're going to marry that handsome guy. He turns out to be a, a rapist and a slasher and a womanizer. You know, like you see all these, read all these stories about that kind of thing. Wife beater. You want to marry him? Well, listen to me, my daughter. Don't do that. You're making a big mistake. If we, if, we, if we learn to hear the voice of Christ, we'll avoid a lot of pain and evil in this world. Now, the evil that is particularly mentioned here might be the evil of falling back into Judaism and apostatizing. Those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil are those who understand the nature of their true high priest Jesus and who understand the evil of going back into a legalistic system, the same system that killed Jesus and who murdered the prophets, and who is persecuting the apostles of Jesus from synagogue to synagogue, as Jesus predicted in Matthew 23. You need to learn about that. Don't go back into that religion. I, I suspect that's probably true, given the context of this book. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now finished with Hebrews chapter 5. Next audio, we will turn to Hebrews chapter 6, and we will entertain that thorny question of, can the believer lose his salvation? This is the famous Hebrews 6 passage, the one the Arminians love. I regret to inform any Arminian who is listening to this that I have an answer to this thorny problem. It's interesting how I came about by it. We'll talk about that next time. Hope you enjoyed this audio. Hope to see you next time. <laughs>